Hello, and welcome to TechCast, a weekly podcast diving into tech headlines and deep dives into potentially big stories that could change the industry as we know it. I'm Jake. And I'm Ben. So, Ben, what do we got on the docket this week? Uh, it looks like we've got uh, USB-C being mandated over in the EU. Uh, that's expected to be coming up in the next couple of years. Uh, the uh, Obamas are heading over to Audible. Uh, Tim Cook is also continuing to tease Apple AR. Um, Meta headsets also we're looking into with AR here for us and VR as well. And then Netflix had a couple job cuts, it looks like. And we've got some things to talk about with Apple and Apple TV, as well as you have a lot to talk about with Project Genophysis. Yes, I have a lot to, to go over with that. Uh, my journeys to try to see how this functions. <laughs> um, but anyway, so let's get started. Uh, the way that these episodes are going to be structured, uh, we'll have a chunk at the beginning where we're mostly going over headlines uh, and then we will uh, kind of talk briefly about the potentials of those headlines but then we each will bring every week to I guess one uh, larger story that we have spent more time with we, wanna, we have a lot of opinions on uh, to be able to, to dig deeper to, to see the, what the potentials of those stories could be yeah, yep, exactly. So I think um, I guess we can just kind of dive right into it, starting out with uh, with USB C. Sound good to you? Yeah. So you brought the USB C this week, Ben. So so tell me about what the EU's done. Yeah. So the EU has actually uh, now confirmed, as of uh, looks like uh, last week, there that the uh, US USB C charging port is a legal requirement for all smartphones sold within 27 countries of the European Union by 20. 2024. So it looks like that's autumn of 2024, which I find kind of interesting because that coincides then with Apple's typical launches for the iPhone. Um, but I know obviously Pixel has kind of come into the autumn time space there as well, and half of Samsung's flagship phones too. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I believe it's not just smartphones, though. I think it was also other yeah, tablets and cameras too. So I kind of wanted your take a little bit on cameras with Type C. I haven't spent much time with cameras lately, but I know that cameras uh, are notorious for sticking with older micro USB. Um, so what do you think that's really going to do much there? Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I know uh, some newer, uh, you know, mirrorless cameras, even some DSLRs and point and shoots, um, will recharge uh, via USB C, but for the most part. If you're serious into photography or you're going to, you know, have a nice camera, generally you're going to have like a rechargeable battery, rechargeable battery that you're going to pull out and charge outside of the camera. Uh, at least the, the camera that I personally have, which uh, it's not the newest, but it, it, I do have an A7R Mark II uh, and I got a handful of batteries for it. Um, I don't have a, a way to charge those batteries in the camera itself. So I charge the batteries externally and then carry a bunch with me and then hot swap them as I need them. So it'll be interesting to see how USB-C impacts those. Uh, and if, I mean, what this EU decision will mean for the scope of cameras. I don't know if it, if it discusses every camera out there or if it's just certain kinds, point and shoots, mirrorless, what, what have you. Well, and that's kind of what I'm wondering, too, and just more generally, again, with USB Type-C, typically manufacturers that want to keep the prices really low on their products are continuing to stick with micro USB. So forcing them into Type-C by 2024, 
I'm interested to see if we if we get the price to be uh, around what it is currently with the micro USB. Um, I mean, obviously, it, it's just a couple dollars, I believe, when you look at um, um, when you look at the the overall scale um, of those devices. But at the same time, too, I mean, there's got to be a reason they're sticking with micro USB for the time being. Um, so, I, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see exactly how that plays out. Yeah, well, I know there's a lot of uh, industries that have been slower moving because their user base is fairly small and fairly niche. And that user base for that product category uses micro USB. Uh, and even in some cases, more egregiously, mini USB. Uh, yeah. But that, I think, I think that brings up a, a potential pain point there. Whereas if you have someone who is purchasing a something in a product category, let's say e-readers, and their e-readers happen to charge via micro USB and they get a new one. If they don't have other USB type C devices, which is kind of hard to fathom at this point, but sticking with that product category, they may be frustrated and may not purchase that model uh, or try to find a model from another source that, you know, doesn't pass through the EU. Um, however, they can skirt those regulations. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. And I think, I mean, you mentioned e-readers. I think Amazon's definitely definitely one to look at because I believe they still. I think some of their Fire tablets are still um, uh, micro USB. Though I know it was pretty big information when the um, or pretty big news when the new uh, Kindle Paperwhite came out with Type C. Um, yeah, that was uh, a little disappointing when I bought my uh, previous generation Paperwhite. Uh, maybe three months before they announced the new one. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, I got it for like sixty bucks, so I can't be that mad. But yeah, that's true. Oh, that's that's a huge discount. Yeah, it was a, a very very aggressive deal at the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, now you know why. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Yes. Um, uh, so there's also talk about uh, there's legislation that's being proposed here in the states that would piggyback off of this, requiring devices uh i guess the wording i saw was handheld electronics uh, yeah i saw the have same have usbc yeah i saw the same um i know uh, uh bernie sanders had his uh his stamp of approval on that letter he was one of the first to sign uh, when getting that submitted and i think that uh i mean i think it's i think it's good i think it's the right move um, I mean, if the if the EU can accomplish that amongst 27 countries, I don't see why the U.S. can't accomplish that um, as one country. Um, and I think that the I mean, ultimately, I think this pressure comes down to just pressuring Apple. Um, realistically, I mean, that's that's the largest bulk of, of uh, industry change that we're going to see by forcing devices into Type C. Right? I mean, I mean, yeah, that, that would be as far as like within that product category. That is a huge one. Yeah. Um, Especially in the states, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's not I, to say, that I mean, Apple's Apple certainly put a lot of effort. I feel like towards USB C as of late. I mean, they've got like all of, all of their laptops now are exclusively USB Type C, um, and then well, and that's the thing that I find the most uh, interesting. And I understand that you know Apple has their proprietary stuff. They're they're bringing back MagSafe for their uh, their laptops, which is great. I, I adore MagSafe, mm-hmm. um, but when you're looking at like Apple and USB-C, they were one of the first companies to introduce USB-C in a 
consumer product. Like the original MacBook, like that they the eleven inch MacBook mm-hmm. had USB Type C. It was the first laptop, I believe, that went mainstream ish that had USB C on it. Uh, and I mean, they even brought USB C to iPads. Uh, it's on the Air and Mini now, so it's no longer even considered a Pro feature right. uh, that they had designated on their the iPad Pros. Um, so yeah, I find it very interesting that they've been as uh, resistant to the addition of USB-C on iPhones. I get it. Uh, but I think the, honestly, the, one of the larger impacts of this is going to be like AirPods. Cause not only would the iPhone have to switch, but so now do the AirPods for charging unless they go fully wireless, which I guess I could see them doing. Um, it's for the, Oh, for, for charge. I guess I don't quite follow AirPods for charging. What do you mean? Well, would the AirPods not also have to switch to USB-C as well? I wouldn't think so. The, I don't think headphones are EU, listed under there. It is in the EU documentation. Headphones? I didn't catch yep. that. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah, uh, okay. Mobile phones, tablets, e-readers, earbuds, digital cameras, headphones, and headsets. Oh, okay. That's huge. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, if that's the case too, Greenland, obviously Type-C is just a little bit bigger, but when you're looking at a charging case this small, that size makes a difference. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they have to remanufacture their cases going forward uh, to better accommodate a Type C charging port instead of a Lightning charging port. Um, but I, I can tell you, I am excited for how much more quickly my AirPods will charge <laughs> being Type or being Type C. I mean, that assumes that they will put in that the ability for them to charge that quickly. That's. And so you bring up a good point there, though, too, because and we've talked about this extensively in the past, but there's so many different type C, like what's what is what is uh, mandating um, uh, how all the different types like are they are they corralling all the different type C's to be one specific type C at the time that this legislation is expected to pass? I mean, or are we going to have was it like 3.0, 3.1, Gen 2, Gen 3? My assumption will be that all they are talking about is just the plug, the the shape of the plug and nothing else. Um, I would be very surprised if we see any sort of uh, requirements for devices to have to meet certain USB-C standards to support like both data and power or, uh, you know, even like data power video, the, all, all this kind of potential content that USB-C can enable versus fast charging or, you know, power delivery, all these different standards they have. Then I, I imagine think, it's just the shape. Yeah. I, you're, and you're, I'm sure you're right. I think part of this problem then will come down to the fact, and we, and we know this too already that a lot of, a lot of people in politics, uh, and they obviously they mean well in this case, and it's, it's absolutely great that they're wanting to, to standardize type C as the charging port. Um, but the things you have to consider too, is you're still going to have some waste because of the power delivery versus, um, transfer speeds and that sort of stuff too. Cause like, I know you have a weird kind of, um, charging setup with some of your devices, right? Uh, it's gotten a little bit cleaner as time's gone on, but, uh, yeah, I do have like three wireless chargers uh, next to my bed. Um, and but for the most part, anything that charges via USB-C, I generally just plug into my MacBook charger. Yeah, I, 
I've got a weird situation with, I've got like a, a Amazon. It, it, uh, my wife got it for me for Christmas off of Amazon. It's a little like charging cradle thing that I plug my, I plug a, a Apple watch charger into and kind of coil it up and have it in a stand. And it's also got its own wireless charger built into it too. And then a little slot for the uh, classic AirPods. And it will not support anything faster than like a 2016 Samsung fast charger for my charging brick. I've tried using multiple Apple chargers and it, I think it supports the five watt one, but the five watt one isn't powerful enough to actually power the charging pad and my Apple watch charger. So the only charger I've had success with delivering enough power, but not too much power is the Samsung fast charger, which I just find absolutely bonkers because it, it's, it's type C it's now it's USB a to USB C. Um, sure. but it is USB-C that's plugging into that charging cradle itself. So I just find that very, very strange and interesting. And I do have to use that specific cord that came with it because any other cord seems to put too much power into it. Yeah, that is very, uh, very frustrating and unusual. I, I find very, something very similar with, uh, I've got a couple of retro gaming handhelds that uh, they won't accept fast charge, uh, even like the, you know, standard uh, up to what is it now 18 that the mm-hmm. uh, apple bricks do yeah um it only does the the five watt so i have to plug it into at this point my computer i just have it set to i charge those devices along with a couple others like i bought a pebble time round uh, on ebay a mm-hmm. while back just to have and i have to charge that on my pc because okay. none of my other charging bricks will charge it slow enough to where it won't potentially damage it, I guess. Who would expect that we would be thankful for Apple's five watt charging bricks in 2022? <laughs> I mean, I don't have any anymore. That's the problem. I suppose. Yeah. I've moved on. <laughs> As we all should. Yes. Agreed. Right. Um, so I believe we've got some uh, things regarding headsets too. a couple different, uh, news bits there. Um, so, yeah, so yeah. I'll start with, with meta. Mm-hmm. So, uh, earlier this week, meta had a big, long, uh, I guess, press release of sorts where they're talking about all of their, uh, upcoming, I guess, prototypes for VR specifically. They did not talk uh, about AR at all, really, other than that, some of the stuff that they are developing for VR will lead into their AR successes. Uh, Meta has been very open about the fact that uh, they believe AR is the long-term future and VR is at this point, mostly for entertainment, but a stopgap along the way. Uh, but they did announce uh, the, uh, I guess announced they showed off some prototypes that they're working with. Um, and the names are uh, butterscotch starburst, hollow cake, and I believe mirror lake. Uh, they all four are kind of showcasing different bits of improved technology. So butterscotch, for example, is it's essentially a quest two uh, from my understanding as far as like the guts, um, but it's got like just an enormously high resolution display. Uh, the idea is that you would be able to read an eye chart uh, essentially pa- like visually through the uh, headset, which if you are familiar with a, any, uh, commercial uh, consumer VR headset right now, it's hard to make out text uh, when it's small and at a distance because, you know, the, the pixel layout is enough to where your eyes can only discern so much between pixel to pixel. And when it's not crisp enough, it's going to all be 
fuzzy and blurry and yeah dot matrixy i so i just bought myself a quest 2 just a couple weeks ago and yeah when i first put it on i i genuinely thought that there was an issue with it out of the box because everything was it, it took a minute for my eyes to adjust to how blurry text is um i understand that's the way it is now um but i mean that was my first experience with like my first real experience with vr in the last couple of years and so i I wasn't expecting that um and it definitely took some adjustment well and the other thing too that they are kind of showing off with uh butterscotch and and a lot of these other uh, headset prototypes is in addition to having that super crisp uh display image the banding that happens with vr headsets because the essentially to make it have that 3d effect the lenses are curved Mm -hmm. so there is a pretty noticeable, I have a first generation quest, but uh fall off on your vision. So as you're like, as you're looking straight forward, your peripherals are way more distorted than what's in front of you, especially when looking at text. So the other uh addition that they're really working on is eye tracking to be able to notice where you're looking and in real time, flatten the image of everything. Uh, uh, so your peripherals don't seem distorted and have like image fall off, mm-hmm. which is very cool. Um, Next uh, up, they showed off was Starburst. This one is essentially uh, trying to get really, really high quality, uh, high dynamic range in the headsets. Uh, they yeah. kind of talk about how, hey, you know, we've had all these other pieces of technology that are now uh, taking advantage of HDR. HDR is a lot more uh, prevalent on TVs now. Being able to have super bright whites and very like dark blacks just make it so you have a more dramatic and often or realistic image so that is the idea of starburst is that it can essentially reach a peak of uh like twenty thousand nits which is ridiculous yeah i i mean that feels like it would sear your eyeballs being that close to your eyes like i can only i mean gosh even like our laptops are typically what just like a thousand fifteen hundred am i remembering that right um, uh yeah i think it's, it's close to that thousand range like, i, I mean, if if i have my brightness all the way up and i put my eyes up right next to it like that that is alone burns and we're talking 10 20 times that um, so the, the other thing to keep in mind too when they're talking about that peak brightness generally what that's going to mean is individual like potential pixels are going to have that brightness to show off the effect of a sunset so you're going to have that spot where the sun is hitting the horizon hit that like close to that peak brightness but nothing else will yeah but i already can't look at the sun in real life (laughs) i would love to be able to look at it in vr (laughs) that is fair Uh, (laughs) that is very fair yeah it'll be interesting to see how well that works and if they can get it to where like you said because that's the first thing that i thought of too was man that's very bright yeah how is that going to look to my eyes uh that close exactly i don't know um yeah it'll be interesting yeah it will i know i'm looking at a scale here on their website right now shows those tvs on average is around 198 the quest 2 is currently only 100 nits of brightness uh peak brightness but yeah starburst 20,949 it's just ridiculous and and to your credit though i mean like you pointed out though too it's probably like a, a couple pixels here or there that are super super bright um and and i i mean i i just got an hdr tv last fall 
And uh, I mean, that you can definitely notice a difference in HDR where it's only specific spots that are very, very bright compared to other spots. So I, I can see where that certainly would be beneficial with making things feel more photorealistic in, in uh, VR, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, I genuinely hope if they are able to combine all of these technologies down the road. Now, all of these are like the most prototype of prototypes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're years out from any of these coming to real products. But if they can somehow combine these technologies, that would be very interesting um, and potentially great. Number three that they talked about was hollow cake. So the idea behind Hollow Cake is how do we make a headset as uh, thin and light and comfortable as possible? So the idea behind this one is instead of using LCD panels, they're using uh, what's effectively lasers to beam images into your head. Uh, there are, and I don't know if I'm remembering the name of it at the moment, but there was a company that had a headset that was, it was not meant for VR. It was not meant for anything like that, but it was a headset that would, use lasers to project a video feed into your eyes. Um, and it was supposed to replicate the way our eyes naturally pull in information as it is. And hmm. it was solely as a display. So you would it had an HDMI port and you would plug it into like your Xbox. And what you would see is effectively a like 70 inch television in front of you, but it was all fabricated from these lasers. Uh, let me see if I can find that. Um, uh, it was called Glyph. Glyph, okay. Yeah, uh, Avgant Glyph. That was the name of this product. It looks like... Has Oculus purchased them? That would make sense, honestly. It would, you mean Meta? Has Meta purchased them? Well, I, may, I think Oculus may have purchased them before Meta purchased Oculus. <laughs> oh, well, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, let me look and see if I can find the tech behind it. So yeah, it's projecting light off of mirrors. So uh, kind of like a DLP projector. Um, And it will reflect light back into your eyes and show you what would appear to be like a, just like a television in front of your eyes, kind of. Very interesting in concept and like size wise, uh, you can kind of see where meta would be going with this Mm -hmm. because even like in 2016, when this tech was pretty but fairly mature, it was small in compared to like, you know, on the front of your face, it was small. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That I, I think that, I mean, obviously the, the smaller, thinner, lighter, you can make the headset, the more, um, I think open people will be trying it and uh, trying it on and, and wearing it. Um, cause like, I mean, the Quest 2 right now, it's so front-heavy that I know a lot of people that find it very uncomfortable to wear, um, right. especially after playing just 30 minutes. I mean, you're, and I myself can't really go much longer than an hour. I've got a little bit, little bit bigger nose, so I start feeling the kind of bruise on the front of my nose a little bit if I go too long. But um, yeah, so if we can if we can get that, get that thinner, um, I'm hoping that that in particular, though, may come a lot sooner in the future than, say things like starburst and those. Yeah. Uh, I would agree. I'm hoping that we see, well, cause we are, are getting new products from meta soon. There's what Cambria that's coming later this year. That's going to be, uh, like a higher end model 
upgrade to the rift i, I assume yeah i'm assuming that's going to be an upgrade to the rift from the rumors that i've been that i've that i've been seeing as well online um and i but i think um as far as like the more i guess they're more popular headset though the quest series it sounds like maybe getting an update next year yet so we're still at least another year out so i felt I, hearing that i felt a lot better about my quest 2 purchase <laughs> that's fair yeah um and then um cambria 2 possibly even already being discussed for around the same time as the um quest 3 so it'll be yeah it'll be interesting to see what uh what that first cambria looks like if it's really that feasible to expect it to be upgraded that frequently or that quickly again right well and then on top of all that they have all the ar stuff that they are have been pushing pretty heavily which i genuinely think is the more interesting of the the futures here between ar and vr i mean and there's different, you know, uh, modes of AR. There's like a pass through AR, and then there's like effectively projecting images onto your world kind of AR. Mm-hmm. Uh, both I see as valid, um, like I guess options or uh, use cases for AR. But they have all those uh, prototypes that they've been working on. They've talked about different ways of input method all these different things. Every company is working on AR stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what jumps ahead and what, you know, ends up being the most successful from these companies. Speaking of, uh, you had brought something of Tim Cook teasing AR. Yeah. So Tim Cook was talking with a Chinese outlet, actually, if I remember correctly here. And, uh, he was sure to kind of tease Apple, uh, having something AR that they're working on. And he said, he said to be sure to keep an eye out, um, which is very interesting to hear Tim Cook teasing future Apple products. That's not usually something that we get, especially when the rumor mills turning a lot. It seems like, uh, they, they typically, and in the past at least try to stay pretty tight lipped about things. Um, so hearing him tease that is interesting. Now, I mean, you and I both have downloaded iOS 16 on our phones already. And I mean, neither of us really have the expertise to dig into the code by any means, but I've seen a lot of things crop up online about different AR um, tidbits that have kind of been added to iOS 16, which is kind of solidifying that Apple's going to have something AR come out during the life cycle of iOS 16 in particular. Yeah, something that I saw that they had talked about during one of their developer, uh, I guess, sessions during WWDC after the main keynote, uh, they had a whole uh, update to, is it RoomKit? Yeah, yes, I saw this too. Yeah. Um, a very cool like product, I guess, feature demo of being able to map out the entirety of your room where it'll understand furniture and uh you know, really anything that's going on in your room and put a three-dimensional map of it for whatever a developer decides to add for it. But I can definitely see that kind of stuff being used in an AR headset. Like, I think that well, makes a lot of sense. And it would kind of lead them into saying, hey, developers, develop stuff for the iPhone. And it hint, hint, we can also port your apps to this AR like headset we're going to be releasing down the road. Yeah, when I saw this RoomKit news, I <laughs> admittedly immediately thought of, oh, okay, so this is the way iBeacon should have been. <laughs> <laughs> if Fair. you remember those little uh was it like blue it was like some kind of bluetooth tag or something um yeah it was, so you, get, like, you put them in a when you're like walking around target or something 
Yeah, they would put them. Uh, the idea was a store would put them in an aisle of a uh, in one of their stores, and as you'd walk by, your phone would ping it and say, "Hey, in this area, we've got deals for stuff," or try to uh, gauge customer like traffic patterns and things like that. For yeah. The store. Well, and, I mean, there was some smart features to it, though. Too. I mean, I know there were some stores. I can't remember if it was Target or or uh, um, Brook. Was it Brookstone? Is that what? Yeah, Brookstone. Um, they had they had them laid out in a way in a grid sort of way so you could actually like see yourself walking through their store through the aisles so you could better i guess get an idea of where you're at in the store too and so that's that's more where i see like this room kit as well too to get the layout of the store first or at least easier for the layout of the store um and then having those little things added inside there too Sure. I mean, and when you're talking about AR applications, I can immediately see this as for pass through uh, or you know, like a VR uh, sense as well. Like you're playing a game and you need to be able to uh, walk around your house without taking your headset off. Be, having to be able to map out everything in front of you in real time without having to have like a crappy video feed pass through. Like, that would be very useful to have a three dimensional representation of what is in front of you mapped out by assuming LiDAR. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like that's, I mean, when you turn on your, your quest too, the first thing you have to do is map where you plan to play, but it almost sounds like with this room kit, um, Apple almost feels that, uh, they can just use their LIDAR sensors in this room kit system to basically tell you, you have the free space here. And once you yep. start running out of that free space, I'm assuming there'll be some red alert or whatever, letting you know, Hey, you're about to hit something. Um, though I will say, I really like the transition, the kind of animated transition effect as you're breaking through that wall on quest two, um, that seeing it like slowly begin to expose what's on the other side of your play mm-hmm. area that you've marked is, is very, very smart. So I'm curious to see how Apple implements something like that too. Um, because I feel like they typically have like, uh, uh, pretty, pretty smooth transitions, um, and such as well too, and, and really think out those animations. So it'll be interesting to see how they decide to handle and approach that too. And that's all assuming that this is going into a consumer product. I mean, Apple could very well be doing like a HoloLens kind of thing like Microsoft does and say, this is going to be meant primarily for, uh, industry professionals, you know, whatever uh, market sector they're going to try to dive into, and then it'll pass down to consumer someday. I I don't know how, what the likelihood of this being an actual consumer product anytime soon. Yeah, that's fair. I think, um, um, because didn't, one of the first things I feel like Apple kind of showcased with AR on the phone was um, like a digital walkthrough of cars on the showroom floor mm-hmm. and um so yeah I, I could certainly see something like that where like a, a, a dealership uses room kit to like mark out the cars so for, so you have a virtual showroom floor on like the web to just kind of walk around um and then be able to see inside the cars and all that too yeah and being completely transparent i love ar and vr i think this is such a cool product category uh, it is very fun in short little bursts to use my quest, mm-hmm. but in all of these applications that I think that AR is going to be actually useful, it will, I will never use it unless the headset is something I'm already wearing. Like, for example, I, I think of, uh, on 
Google has this thing in their phone where if you're looking at a dog and you want to see how big the dog is, it'll like put it in your room to scale so you can go, oh, that dog's too big for my living room. <laughs> uh, and that would be a very cool thing to have not looking through my phone, like through a headset. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to go and f- dig out my headset to see how big a dog is going to be. Right. Like That would be very handy in a headset that is already on my face. Uh, and I think that's what we have to get to. And until that... I think that honestly, the Microsoft approach is the right approach unless you're just going to continue to dump money upon money into this to, to make these products faster. But being able to work on the technology in the background where you're getting people in these, you know, more corporate or, you know, physical, uh, I don't know the word I'm trying to think of, uh, these specific industries that benefit from these bigger headsets that may not need the consumer flair of it. Right. Get your diagnostics, get your understandings of how these products work, and then work your way towards that better glasses kind of approach. Well, my concern though with, with AR in particular is we're going to have, I mean, I feel like the software is much further ahead than the hardware, right? I mean, because I mean, like you said, you don't, that's a, that's a really cool application being able to, take a dog and put it in your room so you can see if it's to scale or you can see it to scale to see if it would fit. Um, but, but to your credit too, you're not going to pull out that device to put it on to then see if that would work. You would want that already on your face. Well, if yeah. it's going to already be on your face, then the hardware has to be in a position where it's thin and light and you're always just wearing it anyways, like you said. Whereas my concern is instead because the software is so much further ahead than the hardware, instead these companies are going to think to themselves, we're going to couple, come up with as many applications as possible so that even though this hardware is cumbersome to wear, you're going to want to wear it anyways because we have all this great software applications for you to use. I can see that being their, their approach, but I don't see it being successful. And I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I said that the iPad was going to be a massive failure. Uh, there's uh, records of me writing that down. Uh, I also uh, predicted that Windows Phone was going to be a legitimate third competitor. I've said things in the past that were wrong, but I also predicted the impact of like social media on our politics. Like, I you know mm-hmm. there, there are things that. Uh, I just don't see this being successful if it is too bulky. I think uh, I think a, a good example of this uh, more recent here too is Pokemon Go. Though, look how much of a battery drain Pokemon Go was, and people adapted by going out and buying backup batteries for their phones <laughs> rather sure. than complaining or or uninstalling it. They just went out and got a battery backup and kept on chugging along. Um, so, I mean, you, you could argue there too, that, um, yeah, if the software is good enough, um, people are going to be willing to deal with those, those small grievances to take advantage of that software. And I would, uh, counter that with as great as Pokemon go was, and is still good because I have it and I play it every once in a while. Uh, it does not have the staying power that. I think having a hardware division would require um, if you know what I mean, like look at what Niantic has put out since then. Yeah. The Harry Potter game was a flash in the pan. Yeah. Uh, They've got Um, a Pikmin game. 
Um, yeah, also not great. Um, they've and they got this new one coming yeah, out Paradox. that I actually think yes, which I'm very hyped for, and I'll probably play it for a week. Yeah, uh, but exactly. I, I, I don't think see myself. My, it's so well. The different thing about Paradox though is it sounds like it's more Tamagotchi than it is Pokemon. Sure, that's great. I, but if it required an, a separate hardware to play it. Yeah, that would be strapped to my face that I would have to wear and be big and bulky. Right. I don't. I just don't see myself using it. Yeah. That's that's, that's the the thing is these applications have to be so great and worthwhile for it to have the staying power to continue to develop more and more and more for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, but we've gone down there the whole of VR and AR enough. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, and there'll be plenty more to talk about in the future. Yes. So uh, you quickly. Had- yeah, yeah. You, talking about Netflix. Yeah, you had mentioned you you plugged in here that Netflix has some job cuts. So what's what's that about? What's going on? So Netflix has had uh, quite the uh, rocky road as of late. They uh, reported their first loss uh, in, for the Q1 earnings, where they had like their revenue growth was slowing and it lost subscribers, particularly in the U.S., for the first time in a decade. Um, so that has impacted a the large uh, part of their business I and mean, their stock prices have halved since that. Um, and so this week they announced that they are cutting 300 jobs. Um, I believe that was today. Yeah, today they announced they're cutting 300 jobs. They also dropped 150 contractors back in May. Um, yeah, uh, it's probably going to mean consolidation of businesses within their company. Mm-hmm. They're working on changing their business model. There's just a lot to talk about Netflix and we don't have to get into a whole bunch of it right now, but that is a one recent development that we've had with uh, Netflix and the change of that company and seeing how they manage what is really their first big hurdle since they took off when they went streaming. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think what we're seeing though too is I think this might kind of come down to them looking more short term than long term. Um, yeah, I mean they obviously did lose uh, subscribers for the first time, um, but at the same time too, look at how inflated their numbers got by the pandemic. People weren't doing anything, so a lot of people that weren't willing to subscribe before because they had so many other things going on in their life finally slowed down and they were getting bored at home and they started subscribing um so i think that that's i mean that's something that that they need to consider too now obviously shareholders don't typically look that short term but yeah on to that same token is netflix was the first big video streaming service um that had you know produced content Uh, youtube is its own thing for video streaming but uh when you're looking at the landscape of what it is now with hbo max and paramount plus and all these other uh what is it content providers i suppose Mm -hmm. uh netflix is the the first one netflix is the, the default it's what everyone already had and there's only so many people uh where you know i don't know anybody really that doesn't have netflix yeah um or at least doesn't have a Netflix login, which is kind of another big point that yeah. Netflix is trying to push right now. Uh, but, you know, they are we're going to stop growing eventually in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So then it has to be how do you continue to make money 
And how do you continue to grow your business when you have reached capacity of clients? The option in Netflix case is either try to make sure we get all of those customers that we have paying versus sharing, which is they're working towards, Mm -hmm. or reduce your costs in however ways that make sense. Uh, or find different revenue streams, which they are also working on with the ad-supported model. Uh, yeah, which... ad-supported model as well as gaming too. They're starting to offer games as well. I see uh, with a Netflix subscription. Yeah, and I mean, and they're also in talks of bringing their Netflix original movies to theaters. Um, there's been a whole bunch of talk recently with the binge model, mm-hmm. and how is that really? the model we want to use for streaming is the weekly release like Disney plus is doing with their original shows. The better model to do is the traditional television model, the best for both consumers and for the people making the content. Um, Cause when you have a, the binge style model, you have a very f- quick flash in the pan of there's discussion and zeitgeist around this property for a day. Yeah. Yeah, and then and everyone's watched it. That's going to watch it yeah. and talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, the, the the idea of having their movies like was that that Spiderhead is that the yeah Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, um, I haven't watched it. I keep meaning to. Same. Uh, I've heard it's pretty good, uh, but had that gone to theaters the discussion around that movie may have been more lasting. I think of the movie, everything everywhere all at once that came out this year. That is one of my maybe top 10 favorite movies of all time. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely adored that movie. And I would not have seen it had the conversation around it, not gone for months Yeah, because it was a limited release. It was an indie darling. It got picked up in more theaters and then more theaters. And then it became a national release. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, so many people keep talking about this and I keep hearing about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. I'll go buy a ticket. Mm-hmm. I might watch Spiderhead eventually, but I didn't watch Bird Box for two years. <laughs> so, I, I just completely <clears throat> avoided that train all the other. It didn't even seem interesting to me. <laughs> it was fine. It was the most fine movie. Yeah. And like, that's a lot to be said about a lot of Netflix movies. But, but I think that Bird if you're going to put money too, into these. I think that was one of the, I think Sandra Bullock was one of the biggest actresses they've ever gotten at that point in time. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that was, uh, I mean, at the time that was one of their biggest, like most watched piece of content mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't have the staying power. And that's what the, that, you know, month and a half exclusivity in theaters that drives that conversation that, generates money mm-hmm. then it moves into a limbo of people waiting for it to come out to buy and watch again or for the first time because i missed it in theaters you're just enabling yourself a longer tail of revenue than with a we're going to just throw it on streaming yeah honestly even if netflix just did like um like a three-week release window in theaters first to build up hype around it and then immediately move it to streaming after that i think that i think that would serve its purpose at that point I mean, I think that's all you need, really. They don't have to do like a full six or eight week release like most movies do, um, right? Um, before they have, uh, before they start switching to streaming services, um, and I, I think that that would uh, accomplish it. Because, I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. It seems like, um, like Spiderhead. I saw a lot of hype for leading up to it. I didn't hear. I completely forgot it even came out. Um, I I was just kind of scrolling around on Netflix the other day, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Spiderhead came out. That looks pretty good. I should check that out sometime." Uh, but there was so so much hype leading up to it before that. 
um, which it may well, speak to. Well, not to mention that it was the same director that did Top Gun Maverick, which is the biggest movie in right. three years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that that's definitely something that uh, uh, I, th- I think that's reasonable for them to consider. Absolutely. And I, I, I honestly, I mean, there's been some some Netflix things that, I would like to see in theaters. Um, honestly, I think that it would be so cool if they did, um, like if I could watch Stranger Things as it's coming out once a week in theaters, that'd be incredible. I would do that. If you could like pay like a series, um, uh, pay like for a series of tickets uh, to watch Stranger Things like once a week as it comes out, if they do, if they move to a weekly release, I think that'd be super cool. That would be interesting. I think that they could also be served pretty well by doing like, well, because the way they're doing it now, they'd released what six episodes yeah, as the first half of season four. And then a volume two. Yeah. Yep. And those are what? Two months apart. Uh, about a month, month and a half apart. Yeah. So you could, you could have in theory released them weekly and had that conversation track that whole time. And then to your point, you could just, even break it up because you know an average movie runtime is an hour and a half to two hours now. Mm-hmm. You could release them in two like uh, like back to back features, episode one and two, all at once, like right. in, in the theater. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think that's a very interesting model for for them and other streaming companies that well, are doing original content is, like that. So I think it was about a month and a half because the silly thing is, I'm pretty sure if you do the math, I think that so they released six episodes all at once. I think if you were to watch one a week then it falls right in line with July 1 when the second to last episode comes out. Uh, the volume sure. two, when volume 2 lines up. So I guess they want to give people the option if they prefer to watch it that way instead. I don't know for sure. <laughs> I wonder if they could do... No, that wouldn't work. I'm just thinking out loud about doing like a toggle so you could have the, the people who want to binge and you could have the people that no, want to have that long that tail. work. Spoilers. Yeah, it, it well, and it wouldn't keep it in the conversation. Yeah, and that's the that's the point of trying to have money generation and interest generation is keeping things in well, the conversation. I mean, you can't give them that option, right? Like, if someone's watching an episode and you leave it on a cliffhanger, if you know that that episode, that next episode is available for you to watch, you're going to watch that a lot sooner than waiting all true. week. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's it's it's really it's a bummer that they have cut 450 jobs this year Mm -hmm. uh, within the company. They have said that they're moving back to like a normal business like model going forward. Uh, But who knows if they're going to cut more people? Um, I think that Netflix was just that kind of company that they just kept making money and they kept making more money. So as well, let's throw as many things as we can out there because we can, and we have all this money to do it. And unfortunately, when you get too big without a sustained business, like accumulation like that, you're going to have to have cuts when not having a more reasonable business expectation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so I think since we've been, talking about streaming anyways um for sake of time um i'd actually kind of like to just move on to apple tv plus uh, yeah uh, so this is going to move into what we are calling like our called shots yes uh what we are referring to as the big stories of the week or maybe i mean both of these are kind of from the last two weeks mm-hmm. uh but just bigger stories that have potentially bigger impacts to their respective industries yeah exactly so so apple tv 
has, or well, Apple in general has been making some sports moves as of late. Um, so they've got for Apple TV Plus streaming, they already got MLB um, Friday nights, an exclusive game um, every week airing uh, during the MLB season. Uh, that started in, I want to say March, if I remember right. Um, March or April, right around there. Um, uh, it failed uh, beautifully uh, when it first launched. It sounds like they've got a lot of the kinks worked out. Um, sounds like there was just some chemistry issues with the uh, um, original commentators and everything, but it's, it sounds like that's all worked out. Um, but more interesting yet um, is that there's been rumors floating around for well over a year now that Apple has their hat in the rain for purchasing NFL Sunday ticket, which I love NFL Sunday ticket. I know you do as well. <laughs> yep. Um, and it was the only reason I had uh, DirecTV um, uh, until as of late. And so hearing that Apple uh, has a lot of interest in NFL Sunday ticket, seeing them make this uh kind of push into mlb sports and now the most recent uh news that apple has announced is that um mls major league soccer is uh coming to apple tv plus as well and this deal is huge in my opinion um they've already announced that it is going to be a separate subscription it's it, literally everything about this deal is i hope a preview of the type of model they will have for nfl sunday ticket because um, some rumors already claim that uh, Apple's already won the deal. They just are keeping it hush-hush until they're ready to announce it themselves. Um, the biggest thing I want to stress with uh, with the MLS, with this separate subscription, is there are no blackouts. Jake, imagine how incredible Sunday Ticket would have been with no blackouts. <laughs> that would be pretty great. I just nothing is more infuriating than trying to figure out which damn channel I have to switch to to find my game. Let me just pull up my app and watch the game. Period. Point yep. blank. It's just so you can so you can watch the Vikings lose yet again. <laughs> no, uh. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, I just I it's yeah because like I don't. I I am a cord cutter. I stream everything. I have rabbit ears. And the only reason I have rabbit ears for my TV is just so I can watch football in the fall. That is the only reason. That's the only time I use my rabbit ears. So the fact that uh, that with MLS now, with Apple TV+, Plus, there is not going to be any blackout games at all. It's not going to be locally restricted or anything like that. It was just mind blowing for me to read, and I I hope and pray that that is exactly how NFL Sunday Ticket will be in Apple's hands. Um, I've got some more ideas with this too, but I was curious if you really have anything to to share with with the news thus far. Uh ooh, yes. Um, I mean, I think the big thing is that it's the MLS, um, and why that kind of deal is possible. I. I soccer is, is huge worldwide. It is at least to my understanding of the cultural impact. The MLS is the bottom tier of the professional sports world. Uh, I don't see how they could have that kind of power, I guess, strength to remove blackout dates, be able to have 
all the games you could possibly want to watch all available on and with an Apple TV or how they're going to do it with something on the scale of the NFL, which is such a revenue driver uh, and any other sport for that matter. I mean, they were only able to get Friday nights for MLB. Uh, so, yeah, and th- that's true. I think I still see this as like them as, as Apple ramping up bit by bit with more and more popular um, um, sport. Well, I guess I don't want to say popular necessarily because obviously baseball is the American pastime. Um, but as far as audience reaching, um, having just Friday nights for, for MLB games, um, you're going to get some audience, but not every audience possible. Having MLS now is going to get a little bit even more audience. I, I think this is almost more market research with their Super Bowl, pun intended, being having uh, NFL Sunday ticket on Apple TV Plus, um, and I think that just the the different things that that Apple can do with I I just I I'm so excited at the prospect of Apple having NFL Sunday ticket just because of the um, separate aside rumors that um, they were discussed more in the springtime. We haven't really heard anything lately. Um, but at one point, Apple was kind of eyeing purchasing EA, um, which, of course, has EA Sports that does the Madden games. And so my mind immediately thought, OK, if they're getting NFL Sunday ticket and they purchase EA, imagine Madden overlay next gen stats that they do overlapping on top of uh, watching a live football game and just how much more uh, statistic heavy that can make the game. Um, I, I just, yeah, I, I just, I love the prospect of that whole thing. Yeah. And I think it would be particularly interesting in Apple's case because they, I would imagine would give you the option to turn that stuff on and off, uh, since they would kind of control the, the content delivery from start to finish. Um, whereas other kind of broadcasts with like, like right now, uh, Amazon Web Services has a lot of next-gen stats baked into highlights and stuff mm-hmm. of, of the game where they show you, oh, the top speed that the runner ran. Cool. Yeah. Um, I just so I want to kind of circle back real quick to the, um, the viewership. Mm-hmm aspect of it an average mls game in 2021 was uh 285,000 viewers okay which was an 11 percent increase from the previous year mm-hmm. the average nfl game was uh 17.1 million viewers <laughs> so while i do hold out some hope because apple has a lot of money mm-hmm. that they could make something happen the the blackout uh, stuff is there for reasons. It's there because there's 17.1 million people watching that game on that channel. That all those advertisers are going are paying money to have those ads ran. That these that the NFL is getting a cut from that, and the network is getting a cut from that. And there's just there's so much money on the table when you're talking about that scale of viewership. Yeah. I just don't see how they could possibly get it done with the amount of money that's in advertising. I don't know, though. I still feel that Apple, I, I think Apple will have ads with this too, but I feel that Apple, Apple has deeper pockets though, than, um, Valley sports that does, that owns Fox and, um, uh, Comcast universal that does the NBC games. I, Apple has deeper pockets, I think. 
Um, so I, I definitely, I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love it. It would be very interesting. Uh, I just, I can just see them saying, Hey, here, now you can get uh, Sunday ticket being uh, an Apple be so user. Like if, if it's, if they don't even bother to re create the app itself because the app the app was garbage and super buggy uh if they don't even bother developing a new app for a sunday ticket and they just give us sunday ticket as is mm, i'll be just so disappointed man i don't know how much i want apple to make an app for sunday ticket well, that's fast okay that's fair i mean have you used the home app or the tv app or <laughs> um, so home app I don't mind so much in iOS 16. It was useless before that, though. I mean, it's still not that great. It's, it's, but... it's visually appealing, but there are still times that I'm like, why did you put it there? So, Like when yeah. I open up the home app on my iPad, why do I see in a grid every single one of my light bulbs individually? Not organized in any way. It's just, that's just the layout that it gave me when I first started using the home app. And honestly, I haven't used it since because I just used the Google home app because most of my stuff was connected through Google anyway. Uh, but it's still a, a visual nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not great. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll give you that. It's not great. Because um, I, I just recently started converting my Arlo cameras. Um, I bought a smart hub so I could put them on HomeKit now too. And so I just started that tonight. And uh, yeah, so I, I've started using the Apple Home app again a little bit because um, I was trying to just use Google Home app. And yeah, Google Home app, there are things that just make a lot more sense the way it's done. But visually, I just like the look and appearance of Apple's apps more. I don't like the layout of things. But I like their color palette more. Fair. Yeah, I have an appreciation for that. But you're right. Yeah, there. I I scratched my head a couple times being in the app. <laughs> so so tell me what this uh, greater impact to the industry of I assume television that your called shot is going to be. How is this going to change the industry? I think that it is going to better bridge. Um, your broadcast television with your technology streaming aspect of it. I think like you mentioned, you hope that there or expect there'll be some sort of toggle. And I do too, because obviously you'll have those people that they just want to sit down and enjoy the game. They don't care about all the stats. They just want to watch the game and watch guys hit each other. Cause there are still people that watch football for that. Um, but there are people like you and me that also do fantasy football leagues and it's nice to have those stats. Um, now, I, I like the idea of watching my Minnesota Vikings and having the stats turned off and just appreciating watching the game. Um, but if I'm watching a separate game specifically to watch my own players in it, um, I think that having that option to toggle on and see those different kinds of statistics come up um, as an overlay, I think is going to... Uh, uh, honestly, just it completely changed the viewing experience all around and give a lot more value to Sunday Ticket to begin with. Um, I think that in its current state, a Sunday Ticket feels very, very dated. Um, you're literally just paying a subscription to watch additional games. And I think that it has the potential to be so much more than that 
Um, so I have hope that by a technology company purchasing the rights to that, it's not just a cash grab for their streaming services. It's an attempt to actually further advance how um, how viewership is accomplished. You're telling me that AT&T wasn't able to fix Sunday Ticket? <laughs> <laughs> They weren't able to, uh, they drove everything into the ground, man. I mean, they had to sell off Warner Media to Discovery. <laughs> so here's how I think that AT&T can, not AT&T, sorry. Here's how I think Apple can make something with the NFL work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that their success will loom on the ability to get, Effectively, a uh, do you remember that company that would take antenna broadcasts and then stream them? Yes, um, I know exactly what company you're talking about, and they lasted for a surprisingly amount, a couple amount, a couple of years at least. Um, yeah, very very cool concept. Yes, um, I I can see if Apple can cut a deal with Fox and NBC and CBS to say, hey. We will. We want to be able to have Sunday Ticket or whatever they end up calling it. Users be able to watch local games through the program. So let us take your live feeds with your advertisements and all, and we'll give you the data back of who has watched that the content and let us stream it up to our users. That way, all players involved are getting their cuts needed. I just I don't see it working any other way when you have these companies with a what is effectively the their last big watched content because network television is not what it used to be as far as the like I think current daily users. Yeah, I think Apple will have to do it that way for the time being, because obviously those different broadcasters have their own contracts, too for being able to show those games. Mm -hmm. Um, So Apple can't just step on those toes. Those are contracts, but um, I could certainly, yeah, I could see Apple offering some sort of revenue sharing as far as ads go or anything like that. Or maybe you're right. Maybe they're just going to be willing to say, Hey, can we also stream this in our Apple TV plus with NFL Sunday ticket and you get all the revenue from, because they just want eyeballs on the um, subscription service itself. Uh, or eyeballs on Apple TV Plus, right? So, right. yeah. So having that in there, that I could I could see that happening. But once those contracts start to expire, I have a I have a good feeling that they're going to make a bid themselves too. I yeah, I can I can definitely see them, especially if it works for them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They'll yeah. I don't know exactly where Fox is at on that or Valley is at on their on their contract for for Fox Sports and that sort of thing, um, but. I'm, I'm sure Apple has at least a couple of years that they'll be able to have under their belt with their NFL Sunday ticket first to see if they are finding success with it. And if they are, I can definitely see them pursuing those other contracts too. Um, so if that's the case though, let me ask you this. What else does broadcast television have besides news? And there's still a dedicated fan base of like reality television. Uh, there's, uh, like you know, the the voice and mask singer and survivor all have their strong following still that are, you know, the um, water cooler in the zeitgeist kind of television shows. 
there's your dailies. Like you, you have your game shows, your prices, right? Your soaps. I think there's stuff that they have that will keep them relevant enough, but I think they lose sports in particular. I think they're going to have a hard time. Uh, yeah. Getting, I think especially advertiser interest. The important thing I want to point out though, too, is all of the shows that you've mentioned have been established before streaming. I think the discovery on broadcast as for, to, to help with longevity of broadcast surviving is not long for this world. That's fair. So, but so I, yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see as we talked before with Netflix and like the death of the binge model, as more and more companies move to like that weekly kind of, uh, drip feed of content. If we start to see stuff moving back into more of a, live is going to drop at this time during the evening so we can get the most eyes on it as possible and we just get broadcast television again but through the internet yeah i could see that too like more timed events and that sort of thing yeah because rather than it saying okay well this episode is going to drop at 1 a.m pacific time it's going to be 7 p.m central kind of thing yeah but uh, yeah I could, I could kind of see that. The tech, I don't think this, the the hardware is there at this point in time. There's a reason they drop it at the time that they do. It's because they they can't handle handle that many concurrent streams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, God, look at look at when HBO was doing that with Game of Thrones. That was a nightmare every Sunday. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, that's, we can, we can move on from, from Apple and streaming and, and, and sports and broadcast at this point, you've got things that you want to talk about with, uh, with dish. Yes. So speaking of, you know, satellite television providers, yes. uh, <laughs> well, quite the theme with our big topics yeah. this week. Uh, so dish network storied history here, uh, but back in 2019, they inked a deal alongside T-Mobile and Sprint to effectively acquire the scraps. So they got Boost and they got Ting and they got Virgin Mobile and Sprint prepaid. Uh, they got all those customers because Dish has been hoarding wireless spectrum for years. And the ticking time clock to use that spectrum was coming up. So they made this deal to help essentially approve the T-Mobile acquisition of Sprint to spin off into a fourth carrier. Fast forward a couple years. Last week, they had a deadline to make. They had to have this network covering 20% of the U.S. population and be live and ready to go. In the meantime, things between T-Mobile and Dish were rocky. Uh, T-Mobile wanted to decommission the, their CDMA network. Uh, that kind of obviously had some impacts on Dish when the majority of their customers came from Boost. Uh, so they inked a deal with AT&T last year to essentially piggyback off of their network as a backhaul. Um and yeah, so last week they had this uh, deadline to hit where they had to hit 20% of the U.S. covered. There's rumors that they forgot. Uh, CNET, I believe, published an article that said that they missed their deadline or essentially implying that they were about to. Uh-huh. And as that article hit, the website to sign up for their uh, wireless service started to like oh my piece itself together in real time. 
<laughs> uh, it was it was wild. Uh, even days later, like so, they've been. I have to mention the name. It's called Project Genesis. Uh, Mm-hmm. But the S in Genesis, the first S in Genesis is a five, uh, indicating 5G. Um, so it's Project Genophibus, and it's the dumbest. Yes. Uh, Project Genesis is the name of a video game that came out in like 2019. So if you search Project Genesis written out, you do not find Dish's wireless service. Uh, you find this video game, and then the Amazon listing for this video game, and then the wiki for this video game. You Good don't grief. find Dish's wireless service. It's amazing. So do you uh, have to put the five in? If you put the five in, does it pull up Dish? I believe so. Uh, or you can just add on Dish at the end of it, and it'll pull it up. Mm-hmm. The actual website is, I believe... Uh, oh, what is it? It's like genesis5g.com. Oh, I think is what it's called. So, okay. So before diving into what a, uh, a wonderful experience you have had yourself with this, how, how was dish supposed to be, how did they position themselves to be different? Why did they decide, Hey, we are going to be a carrier and we're going to be better than the other carriers. We want to compete here in this space. Uh, well, really, <laughs> my 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 theories on this are it was dish saying we've got a whole lot of wireless spectrum that we've auctioned like purchased through auctions for years now and if we don't use it we're going to lose it and have wasted all that money so let's find a way to uh essentially take buzzwords and make it our carriers mantra if you will mm. to where they they're calling themselves a Five uh, a smart five G cloud powered network. Mm-hmm. What that means, I really don't know, because effectively, what they're doing on a technology standpoint is they are uh, building their their towers off of like this ORAN or Open RAN s- standard, if you will. The nuts and bolts of it are most carriers will pick a vendor for their towers and they will exclusively use that vendor. That vendor will make proprietary components start to finish from it, making it very hard for the carrier to request any tweaks or changes to it. Or if there's another company that is providing new technology that would improve their service, they wouldn't be able to use it because it doesn't work with that existing provider's tech. So what ORAN does is it breaks up the parts of a tower into pieces and says, we will find a way to, through software, stitch multiple manufacturers' parts together to create a tower. In theory, making it more open because more companies can have their fingers in the pot and make it so it's open sourced on the software side so more companies can get started up and involved. And in theory, it'll make things cheaper because you can have competition in that sector of the business as well, where it's not just Ericsson making a nationwide deal. You can have Ericsson and Sony and Huawei and all these and Samsung, all these companies bidding for uh, bits and pieces of each tower. Okay. So that that's kind of where uh, Dish is really trying to say we're better and we're going to make that's this what they're leveraging work. at least correct yeah. uh, and also in theory you can build it faster because you can get parts that are available from other vendors mm-hmm. so that is the other piece that you could build up an oran network in theory a lot quicker than you could a traditional uh, the other consumer aspect of this is it's all very uh techy like social experience kind of thing uh because everything is gamified 
your usage of your phone is gamified where you get points for doing phone things. You get points for sending a text message. You get points for visiting a website. You get points for watching a YouTube video. You get points for making a phone call, doing a Google search, uh, checking your leaderboards of points where you're at compared to the other users of uh, Project Genifibus. And with those points, you reach levels, and with those levels, you get rewards. So just by signing up for service, you get 1,000 points. 1,000 points nets you a branded Tumblr that has Project Genifivus stuck on it. <laughs> um, once you hit 10,000 points, you get, like, uh, I think it's wireless earbuds um, and an exclusive NFT, which I think is the most important part. Of course. Uh, there's another tier the, where you the, get, the like, a wireless speaker. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, there's another tier where you get a Bluetooth speaker and an NFT. And then there's a final one where you get a duffel bag and another NFT. So that's that's what they've laid out so far. Um, So the experience of uh, this whole process has been wild. The website was broken. You really couldn't uh, order it. The text was mixed, matched with colors. So like... It was supposed to be white text on a black background, but they forgot to change the colors and the emails they sent out. So like that first batch of people that ordered it, the their unique temporary password, you couldn't read it because it was black on black. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, the terms and conditions, this entire time they've been live in Las Vegas. That's where they launched the service mm-hmm. and it's been in what they're calling a beta test. The terms and conditions were uh, segmented out versus the official launch with the beta test. So there were things that applied to beta testers in Las Vegas that didn't apply to consumers that purchased this actual thing. Uh, Initially, the return policy was seven days uh, from order date. And it says immediately after your order could take five to seven business or five to seven days to arrive. So in theory that uh, you could not be able to return it, uh, which is fantastic. And that's all leading up to the fact that they uh, only told you the names of the cities that it was live in. There's no coverage map. There's no tower listing. There's no indication of what service quality you're going to get. There's no indication of estimated speeds. Uh, Dish is only building out a 5G network. That is their, their thing. So if you don't have 5G... Who are you back falling on to? The assumption is AT&T. When I, when I placed the order, that was my assumption. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in actuality, that is exactly what it is. It's falling back on AT&T. Um, even, and in my experience, AT&T it is 5G. only on AT&T. Correct. No, it is, it is AT&T's 4G. Right. Um, specifically, their band 66 and band 2 in my area that I've seen. Okay. Um, I've seen my phone toggle between LTE and LTE+. Plus, so at least it's not showing 5G. I will say that that is a, a, a true benefit to so as an uh, AT&T customer myself. I can confirm we don't even have 5GE in Iowa. So, I mean, <laughs> great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my experience so far, I received the device. I opened it. I set it up last night. Uh, it was already opened. Um, presumably to insert the dish, uh, SIM card okay. is my, my, my guess. Um, because the box was put back in upside down. So like the text was backwards from the text on the front and the tape they put to seal the box back up was, did not cover the right parts of the stickers. Oh, um, 
so you could very clearly tell that it was but at least like, already the open. plastic wasn't removed from the phone or anything like that like it still felt like correct you still phone. got to do that okay. yes uh the phone comes pre-installed with its custom project Gen 5 as wallpaper yeah <laughs> As uh, my roommate described it as, it looked like a child did this. <laughs> uh, I got the app set up. I've got a bunch of points already. It doesn't, you don't have to actually do most of the things it wants you to do. Uh, by Just by hitting the button to say send a text, it t- sends you to your text messaging app. If you just back out and go back into the app, you got your points. And you just have to pretend you did the thing which is so funny because uh, like it's literally it's it should be all vertically integrated they can see if you send a text message well may presume maybe not if you're on at&t's network <laughs> <laughs> fair uh the other thing is you cannot do any of these things in app on wi-fi oh you have to be on their network because the whole purpose of this in my theorizing of what they're doing is they want to see how their network is doing mm-hmm. And so they want you to do all these things on their networks to see if it works and to see if you have service and to see if it's holding up. So thus far in my experience, and I've downloaded several apps to be able to see what bands I'm pulling from, what network I'm using. I am almost exclusively using AT&T. Okay. Uh, of the 128 cities that Dish announced it was covering in with that it was live with their network with their band N71 5G 600 megahertz like low frequency spectrum it is uh i my phone can see it sometimes uh but it never fully pulls it if i'm looking running a speed test through various apps it'll either say AT&T or it says amazon.com as the service provider uh, which is also very confusing. Yeah. I don't know if Do they use Amazon, Amazon is providing hardware. Maybe I, I don't. Uh, if that is like their uh, potential, like a VPN of sorts. Almost. I mean, there was discussion at one point, right, that Dish was looking to partner with another with a tech company to do this. Mm-hmm. So I mean, maybe I, I. It kind of makes sense. I mean, because like Oran is very much. Um, um, software side too, and uh, Dish doesn't have that kind of software. I mean, have you ever used a, 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 a Dish TV service? The software is janky. Is like I just I, yeah. Hey, the hopper was great. Don't you dare. <laughs> and uh, the Joey. <laughs> <laughs> so what I think it is doing because I tried to do a little bit of research on this ahead of time. Uh, so some people claim when they use VPN services that when they run speed tests, it also shows up as Amazon. So I'm wondering if the phone is using, at times, Amazon Web Services to mask its identity to to show that it's using Dish's network through some sort of software layer, but it's actually just using AT&T. Okay. Because when you use the phone, there is what is effectively a mandatory network experience companion app that is constantly monitoring your network usage. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 12 hours that I have had it on, that app used a full gig of data just pinging the network constantly. Well, good thing they don't offer tiered data plans. Right. Uh, which, uh, for reference, in their terms and conditions, they do say if you use an excessive amount of minutes or data, and then in parentheses, determined by 
Project Jedi Five is, uh, <laughs> they can just boot you off of the network. Oh wow! Uh, other carriers have this too. Like I'm a T-Mobile user, mm-hmm. and uh, T-Mobile has that in their terms and conditions. But it's based off of what is considered a high data usage user for the rate plan you're on. Right. There are there are like that's kind of built into the plan, so you could conceivably understand where that limit, that threshold is. And I understand that the it's protection, so you aren't using it as a um, like torrent machine, oh, right, right? Right. So you're not using it to consume an extreme amount of internet for, for downloads. Yeah, but with Dish, yeah. there's only one plan option, though, isn't there? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's thirty bucks. It's unlimited. Um, I made this joke a lot. I, I make this joke all the time with products that I don't see people using. Uh, that like the six people that use it will find it very great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the funniest. The situation I've ever had with any sort of technology ever happened today when I was calling into the Project Genophysis customer service because I wanted to know if they had any sort of indication of where towers were because I just went driving. I drove for five hours today mm-hmm. around the Des Moines metro area because Des Moines, Altoona, and Urbandale, three cities in the area, are listed on the 128 cities that DISH says they provide service to. So I wanted to see if I could get my phone to reliably pull their service, get speeds, have it say 5G, and have it be pulling the band N71 that they have said they've launched. Right. And so I called the customer service because I wasn't pulling it. It would it would lose service after about a minute and default to AT&T's LTE, which I know isn't DISH because DISH isn't doing LTE. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm talking to the customer service person. They don't have the answers for me. They have to put in a ticket and someone from an escalation team is going to get back to me on this question. So then I threw out the end because I was curious. Uh, as I've been playing the uh, game of using my phone and getting points in the leaderboard, I've noticed that I'm like rank, I think, number three mm-hmm. uh, of all time okay. of points accumulation uh, out of 11. <laughs> okay. So I asked the person on the phone, I said, this is like geographic right so like i'm there's 11 people in the area because that would make sense to me it's been a week that only 11 people within the des moines metro area would have gotten project identified right Uh, and i was like or is this the entire install base to which the person said no that's the entire install base oh my god um (laughs) so in a week's time 11 people are using Project Genophibus, or at least using the app. Oh, there could be more so, users that haven't used the app. Yeah. They do strongly encourage you to boot the app and get set up when you start, because that's how you manage your entire account. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could conceivably not use it if you didn't want to. Okay. So here's, here's what, like, that's just so baffling to me. Because you would think, like, there's got to be tons of employees that they have out and about using this network as well right or do they have such a little faith in the network right now that they don't even have their own employees on the network well why would you have employees like why would you have employees on this this product because like their their call centers are just um dish call centers oh it's just regular dish call centers okay so they have like departments. Uh, so when I I called initially, I got sent to Dish customer service, and I said, "We don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a dedicated Project Genesis number." So I called that. Oh, okay. Uh, I assume when the person said that all the escalation people are uh, all in a meeting, that meant the one escalation person that services the entire <laughs> install base is in a meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that was my guess. Yeah. Uh, but 
they don't have retail stores. Mm-hmm. The only, uh, as far as I know, I think the only retail stores they have are currently in Las Vegas for the beta test. Wow. And if you recall me saying earlier, this website went up in the matter of hours mm-hmm. <laughs> for people to purchase and sign up for this thing. Right. I don't know if this is, if they have any actual like real launch for this. The launch feels like it was for show uh, indicated by the fact that I'm not pulling their service mm-hmm. most of the time. And the person said on the phone who was, I have to give credit the most pleasant person I've ever talked to on the phone. Full stop within a customer service. Like, Setting. Okay. F- absolutely phenomenal uh, customer service agent. Mm-hmm. I could not have been happy with that person. Uh, but that person uh, was informing me that there was a bug that the phones weren't handling the handoff very well. And when I'm digging into the phone and how it works, there's so much of it that's turned off. Like I wanted to go in and see if I could turn off all the bands, but mm-hmm. the dish ones. So I could force into it. That's disabled. You can't do it. Uh, you can go in and I've been able to see the SIM settings and what they talk about is how they're able to achieve this kind of like hybrid MVNO is they're using a physical SIM and a digital SIM simultaneously. And it's using one phone number bounced between both SIMs. So one SIM is pulling AT&T service and the right, other SIM so is pulling physical dish. dish SIM and they're using the AT&T eSIM. It sounds like or vice versa. So the way it is, the way that the phone is showing it to me is the physical SIM is AT&T. <laughs> it is seeing AT&T service. Wow. Even though I have a dish project Gen 5 physical SIM put in, in the SIM one slot, it's showing AT&T bands. And then when I can see dish bands, it's showing that in SIM slot two, which would be the SIM. Wow. That's just what the phone says to me. I don't know how much of that is like actually true, how the phone is handling that bounce back and forth, but so, Coming from experience, go, being a T-Mobile customer through the Sprint merger, mm-hmm. when your phone is bouncing back between carriers and letting software do it, it will get stuck on a carrier very easily. Well, and it's a, an really experience bad. that I still haven't, uh, that never got resolved other than them, like T-Mobile as a company, sending out T-Mobile SIM cards to all Sprint users mm-hmm. to get them on Sprint. Their T-Mobile SIMs, even though their accounts were still on, on Sprint. Right. Right. Well, because that ultimately led to big battery drain issues too, right? Uh, in my experience, like that. I, it's a, that's tough for me to know for sure because mm-hmm. I had carried two phones. Um, okay. So I, I was always like offloading usage between the devices. Right. But you could see how it would. Right. How it would it's aggressively switching back. between towers when you're in one spot, when it doesn't need to be handing off whatsoever, I could definitely see how that would affect battery there as well. Now, yeah. so yeah, so project Five says absolutely not even in beta. I would say it's an alpha at this point still. Um, there was something you had mentioned to me earlier about, um, uh, before the podcast about, um, emergency services. Yeah. So those who are participating in the beta did not get, E911, just at all. So in the terms and conditions, you were agreeing to having a separate device to make 911 calls in the in case of like in actual emergency situations. Now, did you see, so that when you say beta, you're referring to Las Vegas? Correct. Okay. I, did, is there anything, any paperwork or anything that you had to acknowledge anything with that? Did you ever notice? So... There is no paperwork to acknowledge. You're not signing a contract because it's prepaid services. Oh, okay. When you 
pay the $30 a month for your service, you are thereby agreeing to all their terms and conditions, which can change at will as stated on their terms and conditions. Yeah, of site. course. Uh, they do make specific mentions about 911 services. I went in again today, which they have changed a lot in the last five days that I have read the terms and conditions, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the days of in between. Well, they copy and paste uh, they, it on day one. Now they're actually going through and setting it up. <laughs> right. Because uh, like they did change. It's now 14 days for their term policy. Okay. Cool. Yep. Uh, but there are disclaimers about 911 services and the fact that it is uh, essentially you're going to get 911 services through it, mm-hmm. uh, but it is not to the extent of other carriers where you have to sign like an E911 agreement to have your location, uh, your home location established where as like where emergency responders will go. As far as I can tell. Now, so you mentioned too, this is prepaid service. That's, that's not their end game though, is it? Isn't their end game to be a, a postpaid service that directly competes with T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T? Uh, I think that was the government's right. uh, hopes and dreams when allowing them to yeah. take the scraps. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's not nationwide. It is not even close. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only towers that they've launched so right far... <laughs> <laughs> right. The only towers that launched so far. Uh, and that, you know, the funny thing, too, is the only time I've gotten fairly consistent 5G service, which, again, my phone is just showing 5G. Mm-hmm. The performance is not great, mm-hmm. but and it is still in most apps showing that I'm connecting to AT&T's towers. Mm-hmm. But it's at my house in a town that is not on their 128 lists of towns. <laughs> absolutely bonkers yeah i don't i just i don't get it it's wild uh for sake of time this is how (laughs) i think it's going to uh impact big Mm -hmm. picture because i'm gonna be there's gonna be a lot to talk about with this Mm -hmm. over the course of the next six months (laughs) i might end up having to be a segment uh like this week in genophibus Mm -hmm. um but greater impacts i think that there is a a positive outlook and a negative outlook for this. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll start negative first. We'll end on a, a, a good note. Okay. Uh, the negative outlook on this is this is going to fail spectacularly. Um, it was always going to fail. You could see it from a mile away. Dish is not a successfully well-run company. Um, if, to expect them to do anything with this network in a reliable capacity was foolish from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will go down in flames. We'll have three national carriers. The And also the worst part about this is they're building this network out and they're actually moving at a fairly decent pace. If this 20% is real and it's their towers, that means they've built 20% of the U.S. population's coverage of towers in you know a year's time, effectively. Right. Which is impressive. Yes. That is a fast rollout. And that means when they fail those towers are going to get split up. They're going to get acquired by other companies, probably. Mm -hmm. So all of this work that this company is doing will not only fail, not have a fourth carrier, three carriers will no longer have uh, that little man to compete against, can start rising, uh, raising prices, all the fears of three carriers. Plus now some or all of them are going to have a big boost because they're going to just, 
buy up the scraps of this company that has put in this effort to boost their network that they're going to then charge more for. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I think, um, uh, with the way dish is set up though, would their, their towers even be compatible with these other carriers? So that kind of leads into the positive outlook, I think, because I think the positive way to spin this and to see this is the speed and hopefully quality that this network is being launched may be a strong enough uh, justification case for the ORAN style for the uh, the other the big three mm-hmm. so if they can start renegotiating their contracts as they especially verizon and at&t with this the c-band launch because they've just acquired a lot of spectrum in the last few yep. years if they can find justification say "Ooh, we could build towers faster and cheaper with the same quality let's do that and then now towers become more interoperable the technology that builds them becomes better and easier to upgrade. I think of living through the sprint uh, network vision conversion where they were, they gutted and replaced their entire network Mm -hmm. that all had to come from a single vendor. So the the thought of being able to rebuild a network with a future 6g and being able to do that so much faster because you're only replacing pieces of it instead of the entirety of the tower could end up positively changing the wireless industry for the future well, that and how quickly it'd be easy to or how quickly they can effectively replace their entire network when not having to rely on one single manufacturer for those towers yeah yeah um and then on top of that having like you know an open source software stack to be able to control it, mm-hmm. being able to take good ideas from anybody to make your towers run more efficiently, to make the handoff between tower to tower better, like making beam forming more accessible where the tower finds the device versus the other way around. Uh, and then this all leads into the fact that we may have autonomous vehicles driving around in our future, having the ability for the, like a network to be built at scale way faster for these vehicles to be able to communicate with could have a big positive impact to that industry as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then there's also the silver lining of dish could make it work. Do I think they will? Absolutely not. Yeah. But if they do make it work and have that fourth competitor and have the lower cost of entry for both the consumer and them as a company that could in theory bring down the prices of the big three that could make them have to be scrappier and compete for real with this small upstart. Um, but that's assuming they make if, it work yeah. and I just don't see them making it work with what they're showing off so far. Well, Cause if dish can find a way to uh, yeah, as you said, show that you can have that you can ha- uh, create quality, a quality network at a lower cost um, and effectively allowing them to charge less to be on that network. I think that, uh, I mean, yeah, obviously that is really, really good because I think the issue initially when we had four carriers was T-Mobile and Sprint were the cheap ones competing with each other at the bottom and Verizon AT&T were the expensive ones competing with each other at the top. And people understood if I want a quality network, I have to go with Verizon or AT&T and pay quite a bit more. 
if I want to save a buck or two, I have to understand I'm going to be on a lesser network and go with Sprint with T-Mobile. And now we kind of effectively have all three at the top, all equal in price. I've, I've been shopping and they're all about the same price anyways. Um, and all have networks that are pretty neck and neck too at this point. So yeah, just, yeah, as you said, if, if Dish can now come along and show the other carriers or, or more importantly, show consumers, Hey, we can build you a quality network for significantly cheaper. So we're going to charge you less for it. That absolutely is huge gains, which I'm sure is ultimately what, um, what regulators were hoping for in the first place. Right. Well, and you know, you mentioned that back in the sprint and T-Mobile days too, not only were they competing on price, but they were competing on the feature sets that that network could bring you. Uh, you know, you had Sprint with the unlimited data, like not letting go of that and being the only carrier for a while mm-hmm. that offered unlimited data. And while they they did see a lot of people switch to them for that fact, which then made the other carriers bring unlimited data back from on the tiered like structure. You also had things like T-Mobile doing their binge on program, which still exists where certain providers don't hit your cap. So then they can have value for the customer and also value for the company to get cuts from these bigger uh, content providers to get some kickback from that. Right. Uh, which then adjusted the industry as a whole with whether or not uh, I have lots of net neutrality feelings about that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but it's besides the point. But you had these two carriers at the bottom that were doing unique things that anytime one of them were big enough to pull enough subscribers to make Verizon AT&T look that way, then they had to change their business models as well to accommodate for that fact that they'd stop losing people. Whether that was price uh, impacting or not, it also continued to shape the industry. So we may see a whole lot less innovation in what these carriers offer to us when we're only dealing with the three long term. Yeah, it'll it'll definitely be be interesting to see how how it all shakes out. Um, I have no doubt that you'll have more feedback for us next week as well, and uh, hopefully, um, I'm sure that I'm sure that the regulators are keeping a close eye on Dish after this kind of rollout. So, yeah, I it'll be interesting to see if we get any kind of news over the next week as well too from regulators about how this has been handled so far. Yeah, and I'm excited to see if you know did we get a twelfth user. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for thirty bucks a month, it may be me. I mean, it's only on the Galaxy S22 right now. It's the only fun you can use on it, so you'd have to uh, let your I'd iPhone to, from yeah. your clutches. Mm, I'll consider. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that we're gonna end it here. We've gone way over it. Um, kind of a recap around of what we talked about. Uh, we did hit, and we talked about the EU uh, switching to USB, USB-C by fall of 2024. We talked about Meta announcing their uh, prototype headsets, all talking about different uh, technology features. Uh, Tim Cook teased AR uh, stuff for Apple. Netflix had job cuts. And then our uh, big called shots were Apple TV getting an MLS deal. Could see it. Big potential changes for the way we consume sports uh, and potentially other kinds of content. And Dish uh, finally officially entering in the wireless market after years and years and years of attempts and Spectrum holdings. Uh, and it is not going well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that does it for this week. Uh, we appreciate you giving us a listen. Uh, give us a rating on your podcast 
podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcast, Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify. And we'll be back again next week with the latest news and our big call shots. Thank you.